Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast, Hulk, sorry, Hero Nation. Well, we are indeed hulking out today with the creator of Disney Plus Marvel's She-Hulk, Jessica Gao. So, so Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Um, there's a lot we want to unpack from She-Hulk. Obviously, the first episode has now dropped on Disney Plus, and there's going to be more over the weeks. But just for a second, I want to talk about another Marvel character who seems to receive a lot of attention in this first episode. You seem obsessed with Steve Rogers' virginity. Well, who is it? Well, I mean, I'll be straight with you. I'm like that Bucky Steve thing. Many, many a late night conversation can be had. Um, but the reason I want to talk about it is if people haven't seen the first episode, and if you haven't seen the first episode by now, I totally recommend you hit pause on this podcast. Um, but you have a scene. It's, a, it's, it's one of the essential scenes because um, Bruce and Jen are talking in the car when the spaceship shows up. They're talking about her theory about Steve Rogers' virginity, which is very Tarantino in some ways. Um, and then at, in the post credit scene, which to your guys' credit, you do, no pun intended, um, there's kind of a revelation about it. My question to you is, is, this is so much raunchier than we've ever seen Marvel go before. So what was that like for you in those conversations about like, look, we want to make this a different kind of show? Oh, I mean, first of all, I'm just so happy that we could be a very sex positive show for Marvel um, I've been saying that this show is very horny forward and we're very proud of that. Um, you know, honestly, from the beginning, like I knew that I wanted this show to be, I mean, from the genesis of the show was going to be a well-rounded portrait of this woman's life, you know, and that was going to include all aspects of her life. Because, you know, the beauty of television is we have the time and the space to spend time with the character. She's not bogged down and laser focused on saving the universe for two hours. She actually is just going about her day. So that means you really get to see all the different elements that a regular person would have. And, you know, uh, dating and sex, all of that is a part of a person's life. That's not the only thing the show is about, but it is like one of many things when you talk about a slice of life. Um, and so that was always just going to be a built-in component to it. Um, but, you know, my philosophy was always, you know, let's just start doing it until somebody says no to us. And that's kind of how we did it. We just had this running joke that she would be very obsessed with uh, whether or not Captain America was a virgin because, you know, she feels that some badass deserved to have sex at some point in his life. Um, and it would be very sad if he went through his entire life in the service of the greater good and never got to, you know, take some time for himself and enjoy. Um, but, you know, these are the kinds of things in the show that are born of conversations that we've all just naturally had outside of the show. I mean, I've certainly had that conversation with my friends, you know, and we talked about it like endlessly in the writer's room um, because this was the this show was also an opportunity for all of us to kind of 
put in all the things because most of us were like big Marvel fans. So it was kind yeah. of a great opportunity for us to put in all the kind of burning questions and fun little tidbits that we like to hash out with our friends as you know over the years as we've watched all these movies. Can you talk about um back with um you know this is a character in Marvel lore specifically just Hulk himself who was very dark was always moody and dark and now it's very you know the Hulk family has become very light. Can you talk about that that spectrum? Yeah, you know, I do think that that is part of showing a slice of regular life because when you're watching these characters in movies, it's so high stakes. Like the fate of humanity is at stake. The, the entire universe, exactly. like on a good the day. The entire universe, you know, the multiverse is like every universe is at stake, you know? So there's always some very pressing, timely, high pressure situation that they have to focus on. So of course it's more serious, it's more dramatic because the stakes are so much higher. The universe is not going to end on our show, you know? It's more about like daily life and, you know, what you have to do in your job and hanging out with your family. And so that's that naturally means that we get to see a very different side of these characters, you know? Like we're seeing Hulk like hang out, you know, at his beachside, you know, res resort or not resort, his beachside house like and lab with his cousin, you know? And this is somebody he's very comfortable with. And sure, of course, it's like, very extraordinary thing happened to her where she's now become a Hulk as a result of him, you know, an interaction with him. But um, but again, it's not like the entire universe is going to collapse. It's more like these two people can spend some time together and figure this out and really process this. And there's no ticking clock on, on any of that too. Like they could spend a year there if they needed to. Um, she wouldn't want to, but you know, they, they conceivably could. No, like the world isn't gonna end if they do that. Well, one of the things that I found very interesting about the series, and, and if, if which I love, and I have to be fully transparent, and if you haven't, please read our review that was up on Deadline yesterday. Um, you do the thing, you don't do the thing that usually irritates me so much in superhero stories, which is it takes for the origin story takes so long. At one point, you're like, look, I'm not watching this because I happen to be flipping the dial. Like, I'm here for a reason. You guys get to it very quickly. She gets the gamma rays in her blood very quickly. And you kind of, we move to this very quickly. But it's very interesting, the thing you mentioned in, in relation to just now about hanging out at Bruce Banner's Mexico beachside lab slash, slash resort slash built by Tony Stark. And later, Tatiana's character, Jen Walters, mentions about how she doesn't want to be a superhero because that's for billionaires, narcissists, and oddly enough, adult orphans. You know, part of what's in She-Hulk is a rather scathing critique of not just modern culture, swipe culture, toxic masculinity, and, and, and workplace politics, white collar workplace politics, and many things like that, but of superhero culture. And I wanted to get a sense from you about how you wanted to bring all those elements into it. Because as well, long question short, there's also a kind of homage to like 40 years of network legal dramas at the same time. Lot to pack, lot to put in that, that uh, jambalaya. <laughs> yes, we were very economical. Um, you know, I, I think the John Byrne run in the comics was the most iconic run of She-Hulk. And what one of the things I love so much about that run was just how meta it was. Um, not only because She-Hulk broke the fourth wall, but because she was aware that she was in a comic book and she would talk about comic book tropes and she had opinions about them. And there are certain tropes she wanted to poke fun at that she didn't like, that she didn't want to do, you know, like 
that run was also commentary on comic books itself, which, you know, when I first read it, I, I just thought it was so wonderful and refreshing and, and smart and fun. Um, and so that is like, like, I really wanted to pre preserve the vibe of John Byrne's run um, on the show. And I think that having her like make commentary about all this stuff and be really aware of all of these things um, is very important, but also, uh, you know, I keep saying this is a portrait of a real woman, you know, and she's kind she's like us in the sense that she's been witnessing all of this stuff in her world, you know, and also she's getting a lot of the hot goss from her cousin um, about his firsthand experience. So, you know, any like, regular person would naturally have kind of a lot of these questions, you know, like if your famous universe saving cousin was constantly making the news and was always like the topic of, I'm sure the family group chat, like, I'm sure you have a lot of opinions about things, but you were also wondering about all this stuff that like, isn't being covered in the news, you know, like that's why she, and she's a very pra pragmatic person. So that's why she says like, well, are the Avengers paid? Do they have healthcare? You know, like, because as Americans, we always have to wonder about where we're exactly. going to get our health insurance, exactly. you know? And so these are like very practical questions that she would think about. When you, when you look at the, you guys have a, you guys have a nine episode first season and there's, there's lots of fun, lots of Easter eggs, lots of cameos. And you guys are very self-conscious about that. And by the way, you know, we mentioned it earlier uh, in, in coverage of ours, but you know, a lot of response online to the fourth wall stuff a lot of people kind of wrapping your guys' knuckles like, oh, you're trying to be Deadpool or Fleabag. We should stay. Like, that's in the comics. Like, that's part, yeah. like, She-Hulk was the fourth wall breaker. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the aforementioned. Um, oh, yeah. Years and years before him. There has been, I'm not going to go on about it, but there's been, as one expects, online response. Some of it, you know, people saw trailers. They had certain opinions. People saw this. They had certain opinions. As the as the brains as the per, as the creative entity behind this television show, I've always wanted to ask: How does it feel when you get that sort of toxic feedback? I mean, it's not great, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's also not my first experience with it, but it is like definitely on a whole other level, on a whole other scale, you know. Like, you spend three years of your life, like with your life dominated by this project. You, I mean, you spend every waking moment like trying to put putting your all into the show and thinking about it and putting it together. And like, uh, but like the scrutiny is really, really hard to imagine beforehand. And uh, like literally everything you do and say will get scrutinized. Like, and every word you say is going to get picked apart. And it's very annoying because, you know, like during a press junket, I mean, I, I literally did 38 interviews a day, but like, one like wrong word and everyone will jump all over it over analyze it like i you know it's so funny it's like you know as you'll see in the show like the way that she hulk gets scrutinized and picked apart by everyone like i mean it kind of feels that way being like a creative for marvel because everyone picks apart everything you say like you can't ever, you know, uh, have one mistake. Or sometimes you don't need, you're saying something perfectly normal and then everybody has to read into it, pick it apart. I mean, it's a gift and a curse because it's so wonderful to have so much engagement. Like, you know, coming from TV, you're never guaranteed an audience. And this is the only situation in television where you can have a one first season show and just know that 
millions of people are going to watch it. Millions of people are going to pay attention to it. Like, I don't think I'll ever have that guarantee in television ever again. Hmm. You know, so that, that is a gift in and of itself because, you know, when you work on season one shows, which I've done a lot of, you're always wondering like, oh God, I hope this finds an audience. I hope people watch it. I hope it doesn't just, I hope I didn't put all these years into something that just comes out and fades away. That'll never happen with Marvel. But, you know, the curse of it is like, you're, you know, nothing is your own anymore. Everything has to be, everything has to be picked apart. And like, and I, and also of course, every single person thinks that they can quarterback everything you say and do and that they can do better, you know? So it's no secret. Charlie Cox is coming back. It stands to reason who's she going to encounter in court. It's going to be daredevil. You know what? We can't wait for that. Can you talk about how that came to be, were you able to go in and say, hey, I'd like to see this in this show, or is the whole sprinkling of other Marvel characters a top-down decision? It's like Kevin Feige or some other knowledgeable executive walks in the room and says, hey, here are the characters. Yeah, sorry, Anthony, there's with. another knowledgeable executive at Marvel besides Kevin? Well, there's, there's someone <laughs> I there. I that joke, too. <laughs> well, there's someone there, I think, Dom, that deals specifically with the canon. That's that's really sharp on canon. And I just thought that was I just I thought that was just called Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true that like all roads at Marvel lead to Kevin. All roads originate with Kevin. All roads lead to Kevin. And Kevin uh, Feige is just Kevin, as I refer to him. Um, so Daredevil was a special case because uh, most of the characters on the show, um, you know, in the writers' room, and we had such a fun, talented writing staff. Most of the time, we just spent our days mining the movies, mining the comics, you know, thinking like, what's a character we can use? And we, we specifically picked characters, A, that, um, you know, a lot of people, people were like fans of, of course they would pitch for the characters they were fans of, but B, we wanted characters where we could come up with very character specific reasons why they would be in legal trouble, why they would be part of a lawsuit or why they needed a lawyer to consult on something. Um, and then once we came up with basically like what we would wanna do with this character, um, then we'd, of course, you know, walked it, walk the road to Kevin. But Jessica, uh, I have to ask you, and, and I'm, I'm dying yes. to know this question, but the premise alone is a multiverse because this is the thing, like the world gets invaded, Captain America and Hawkeye save a bunch of people from a Macy's that collapses. This is America. Someone who's been saved by them is going to, is going to sue them for emotional distress. So it feels like if the character, what you can do here with Jen is she can be and she can go anywhere in Marvel. It's like the equivalent of when you make a make a medical drama. Like a doctor can show up anywhere. Yeah, of course, because everyone can have some need, you know, for uh, medically or legally, and yeah. and that really is the beauty of this the the format of the show is it lends itself very organically to having things like that happen because you know there's gotta be someone behind the lawsuit. There's gotta be someone behind the trial. So it naturally lends itself to people coming and going. That's the other great thing too, is that I think that's what helps us make it feel like it's still her show. It's not, you know, let's focus on this cameo. Let's focus on that cameo. Because once the lawsuit is over, um, they go they go off on their merry way. You know, it's not like in real life when, when a lawyer helps a client, Afterwards, the client's like, great, I'm going to be part of your life now forever. You know, they, you know, it's built in that someone comes in, we tell a story, you know, a case of the week. And then, and then once it's done, you understand they're going to go off now because this is Jen's show. 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So let's talk a little bit about bringing Charlie into this. Yes. Because, because this, you know, this nicely segues with Disney slash Marvel now getting the rights back to the Netflix series, which added a new level of maturity to Disney+. Plus. I mean, they literally have put a parental advisory on when those shows came back. We know that there's always been a desire for Charlie, huge desire for Charlie to come back in some form. This is a great slow walk. Oh yeah. Um, so Charlie, the reason it was different than any other character we try to use was we never even thought to pitch him because to pitch Daredevil because we just we, we thought that there it must be tied up still and whatever their deal is and we just had no idea and we never imagined it would be on the table so we just never gave it a thought and uh, and then one day I can't remember the specifics of how but one day we basically were told like by the way Daredevil's on the table if you guys want it. We're like, if we want it, if we want Daredevil. <laughs> I was gonna um, say, was that kind of like yeah. two people were in the elevator with Feige and he was looking at his phone and just kind of told you casually and then went on <laughs> to like talk to Chris Evans? Well, when that happened, you know, we were also told in the same breath that it would be Charlie returning as Daredevil. Mm. So I have to imagine they must have closed some deal or something and then said like, okay, now like all the, the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed and we can, you know, we can offer him up in the buffet of Marvel now. Um, and so we, you know, we were overjoyed and immediately started, dropped everything and started coming up with like how we would incorporate him into our show, which is also very easy because he naturally works on the he's show. He's also a lawyer and a superhero, you know? Do you have a grand plan mapped out for season two and season three? I mean, here's the thing. Sometimes these Mar the, the second season of these Marvel shows, as we're seeing, they're spinoffs. They take one character from the show and they go. But do you, do you have a plan where you see her battling more cases? There's more Boston legal and Ally <laughs> McBeal? Um, I, I see her at the Supreme Court. <laughs> where it turns out they're all like, they're all like scroll chameleon. Not, not all, but let's just call a certain majority turn out to be an alien beings. Uh, yeah. I mean, there is a run very similar to that, but it, but in a galactic level in the comics, I will say this, like in, when I pitched the show, I, ha I had an idea and I talked about what I would do in a second season. But the thing is like, well, first of all, like, I, I don't even want to, I don't want to think about anything in the future. At you must be right so now. burnt. Are you burnt out? Like, the, the, I mean, because you make the, you pitch the show, you create the show, you make the show, then you post-production the show. Yeah. And then the show comes out. And as you said, like it's Marvel is like you're shot out of a cannon into the multiverse yeah. and now it's dropped. And I, I almost think you must be like, ah, like, what do I do? Like it's, it's the world's whipping around your head. Oh yeah. I, I'm still working on the show because there's still later episodes that we still have to like tie up, you know, and, uh, and, and just finalize. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been working on the show for three years now when, you know, you guys have talked to a lot of TV writers, like three years to make one season of television yeah. is very bonkers. And it's a very, very long time. And, 
you know, to work, uh, you know, Marvel is operating at this huge level that you really can't stop. You really, I mean, I think that's a great description of you're being shot out of a cannon, but the cannon doesn't stop for three years. Um, so yeah, and also coming from television, like you can never ever like guarantee that you're going to get another season with a first season show, you know? So like, uh, so it's kind of been like, trained into my head that like on a first season show you really have to just tell a complete story that you'd be satisfied with if this is only a one and done um be, just because there's never a guarantee you just never know if you're gonna get another season so you can't really like hold back and um and just leave things open-ended like you do have to tell some sort of like satisfying arc in one season just in case and then of course you leave the door open for possibilities for uh, a second or third and fourth season. And so that's that was kind of my mental approach to it. Do you see her getting pulled forward to Secret Wars and to Kang Dynasty? I, I think she's, I mean, I would be shocked if they didn't start putting her in like movies, like the, especially the group like team up movies. Like I would be shocked because- Well, I mean, I, I, it felt like, and again, mm -hmm. Marvel, I mean, one of my one of my criticisms of Marvel movies is it's the endless tease. I'm like, come on, like, let's just get over that um, and consummate it. But one of the things that happens in She-Hulk is there are all these things that are said, some of which are germane to her living in that world. And these would be things that were said. But there's that scene outside the prison where she goes and see Abomination, where the reporter's like, we've heard she's been rejected for the Avengers. And I, I always think, oh, that is one of those things that can play either way. Yes. Um, yeah, totally. Like she, it, it's just, you know, so much of the themes of this show is about like media and how rumors fly and how every little thing that you do and say like gets churned and, and spun around by the machine and by the public at large, much like what is happening currently in real life. Exactly. Or, you know, as yeah. you said, when you did press junkets and one little thing, or you talking to us about Avengers, mm -hmm. Jess, we, we really want to get a sense from you. We talk a lot of, about the themes. This first episode, you really lay out Tatiana's character, you lay out her transformation, you lay out her insecurities, her apprehensions. There's some very serious issues that also are addressed in She-Hulk, and I think they're handled very deftly. Um, but you talked about them. Media. Mm -hmm. There's, there's uh, you know, we look at office politics, we look at other things here. When you have a talent like Tatiana, and, and I've joked like, hey, she's got an easy gig here because she's not playing half a dozen characters. She's doing one and a half in this one. Mm -hmm. um, but how, how have, talk a little bit about the relationship that you guys had and really developing and making this character work. Because of course, also what you guys were doing when you were shooting is half the time she was walking around in, in, in a bubble suit, not actually the figure we see on screen. Yeah, she always referred to them as little gray pajamas. Um, I I love her so. I'm a ride or die for Tatiana Stan. Like I love her so much. She is a perfect human being. Like and and a perfect actor. Like she really embodies this character. Her approach to the craft is really incredible. Like the way she can just snap into this character and immediately make make her feel like a real person is just so impressive to watch, but she's also so thoughtful and considerate about the way she approaches character. And uh, she also has really good instincts when it comes to character, when it comes to story. So, you know, when we first talked about um, 
the first time I ever met her, over, uh, this was, you know, over Zoom because it was, we, it was the beginning of the pandemic. Um, wow, so, so long ago now. I mean, so long ago. And yet, like, two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I always say, like, it, it feels like, it feels like I was on the Oregon Trail and now I'm, like, a different person, you know? Um, but when we first talked, like, she, I think we're going to make, I think we're going to use that analogy in the, in the headline for, for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> creator on walking Oregon trail. Oh, other boy. Stuff. oh boy. <laughs> Just trying to create more problems for me. Thanks a lot. Guys. The Oregon trail fan base will come down on you. <laughs> um, I know. And I can't wait for everyone's outrage of like creator of She-Hulk based the show on Oregon trail. Fire. Exactly. <laughs> She's a government red state socialist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the first time we met, you know, she had read the script for the pilot, which, by the way, isn't the pilot that aired. The second episode was the original pilot, but there was actually scenes that have been uh, pulled from it because once we switched the order and stuff, it kind of got stripped for parts. Um, But that was the so the second episode, you know, with some missing scenes were uh, was the. I uh, was the script that she had read. And so that's what we talked about. And, you know, she really, really responded to like the themes of the show, you know, she really, and she knew exactly like, like we kind of just like vibed immediately on like what we wanted out of the show and like who this person is that we were trying to kind of portray. And, you know, from day one on set, even before we started shooting, you know, she and I had a lot of conversations about this character and, um, she really cared about creating like a three-dimensionality to this character. And there were so many points throughout shooting that, uh, you know, the, she, she, you know, picked and cho- uh, chose like when to kind of bring up like script issues. And every time she brought up, like she had a note or brought up like, a, like something in the script that she felt like wasn't exactly right. Every single time it was because it was something that, I didn't feel great about either and either I was addressing like someone's note that I didn't agree with but was kind of like oh but but had been so beaten down basically that I was like you know what I'll just give it to them like why like I I don't want to fight every single you know about every single thing like I'll just give it to them I can't I cannot fight about this any longer and every single time that happened she's she immediately like like uh, like like a targeted strike, like immediately like figured that out and and was like, hey, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like this doesn't feel right. Um, like that's how sharp her instincts were. And what was so great about having her do that is, you know, there were so many times where I was just like exhausted and beaten down and like just trying to get to the finish line. And but it would make me stop and think like, no, why, why am I giving in on this when I don't mm-hmm. believe it? Like, you know, why am I'm not gonna, why should I let this? you know, get like bulldoze over me when I know creatively it doesn't work. And um, and it was just so, because then we'd work together on something and talk about like, what would make sense? Like, why doesn't this feel right? And what should it be? And then, and sometimes it would take a, a very long time for us to get to the right thing, but we always did and always ended up making it better. And like, she, I, I'm so grateful to her that she pushed me to become a better writer and it was, and a, a better producing writer at that too. And um, and that's just one of the many things that she was so good at. And she always did it in such a like thoughtful and e- completely egoless way. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about her. I, like I can't in good, con- I, like 
I can't honestly say I would take a bullet for her, but I would 100% take a punch in the face for her. <laughs> for Mike Tyson? Oh, God. I mean, that I'm is just saying. That's a bullet, though. A punch from Mike Tyson is a bullet. I'm just saying, I, I, I never miss an opportunity to use my favorite Mike Tyson quote, which is, everyone has a plan until I punch them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, B barring, a <laughs> barring the greatest boxer, like, it, like of our time, Sure. <laughs> Can you tell us where She-Hulk spills over into? You know, sometimes Marvel's very public about this. Like, is it is after this, is it going to spill over directly into um, like Loki season two or into the Marvels? Like, for example, you know, you know, Kevin was very explicit that WandaVision would go straight to Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I'm just curious, is there a spillover here we can look forward to? Um, I don't know. Like we, because the Marvel keeps. Uh, no, I, I just want to tell people you yeah. can't see us, obviously, but we can all see each other. Jess is looking at her NDA as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking at the team of Marvel security guards standing just <laughs> off camera, <laughs> and one of them is holding a black bag that he's about to put over my head. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, you know, no, like they keep all of the shows very separate. Like we don't really talk to each other, you know? Um, and so you really have to, everything, Kevin is the center of the universe and like, and you're just one of the spokes, you know? So um, as far as I know, I'm, I don't know what the, they haven't been open about what their plans are for, for She-Hulk in the future. Jessica, we really, really appreciate you joining us, especially today, because this is, this is, this is launch day. I just want to ask you, and, and I please don't think I'm belaboring the point, but with all you guys have been through over three years, you made a show during a pandemic, you had, you know, many, many obstacles and challenges, you're still in post on later episodes, you have a zillion guest stars, please can we have more Tim Roth, but that's just me saying that, and Benedict, um, but how does it feel now that it dropped in the morning and it's out there in the world, like you're, you're trending again on social day two. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I think my uh, last night, one of the trending uh, uh, topics was Captain America, uh, yeah. which I, I mean, I think that's my crowning achievement as a writer. Like if that's, I, if that's my legacy, I can rest these weary bones easy. Um, but it, it, it feel, it's such a relief first and foremost, it feels like a weight has been lifted that like it's actually out, it's actually done. And you know, I don't have to like, you know, sometimes I have this panic that like may, that I'm going to wake up and it's day one and none of the scripts have been written and like this whole journey hadn't happened and I have to do it again. Like, um, and it's just such a relief that I'm in the home stretch. There's light at the end of the tunnel and I can like, I reached out my hand and the light, the sunlight is shining on my hand again. Because um, sometimes it just felt like this day would never come. And it's also just such a joy. It's so thrilling to finally share this thing that has lived like you know that has dominated my life for so long and I'm just so happy that the world also gets to see this talented cast because truly we had such a talented cast I'm just thrilled like everyone's hard work is finally like coming to fruition and being recognized and it's just such a joy and of course the number one thing that I was very excited about was seeing all the memes that were going to come out of the show Oh my God, you guys are you guys are meme Hulk heavy, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and that it won't and, and it won't stop because you know, spoiler alert, as a TV critic, I've seen a few more episodes than the rest of you. Hence I can tell you it's awesome and funny. But you got meme deluxe coming. 
I can't, I'm so excited. I can't wait. We really appreciate you joining us today, Thank Jessica. You. Will you, Jessica, can we, we want to, we want to strong arm you, uh, She-Hulk style. And this is by, I mean that by both being irritating media people and by being um, incredibly fit and able to knock spaceships out of the sky. Will you come back and join us for the finale? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then we can finally talk about everything. <laughs> well, we can talk about everything for season one, because I think at that point we're going to be looking, Anthony's going to be mining you for the future. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be escaping to Bruce's secret island in Mexico and hiding from them. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you thank so you. much. So thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation, where as Anthony promised at the very beginning, we were certainly hulking and fanboying out. Make sure you join us every week. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. And that's Marvel and beyond. Until then, talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.